Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I am joined by James Sykes. James, how are you today? I'm doing awesome, Brian. Yourself? Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're recording this hopefully in the last uh, few stages of the pandemic, and hopefully you're surviving that as well as could be expected. Absolutely have been, yeah. No, my wife's done a great job of keeping us all safe, and the yeah, family's good. been great. Hopefully we'll see this world come back to normal. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in the world that needs to go back to normal for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Now, what's normal anymore? That's, I guess that's the real question. What's normal? Yeah, yeah. You know. James, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your education. Yeah, so I guess I started my geological career uh, back in 2004, uh, studying in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I loved school out there. I really got hooked on geology the first time it was ever introduced to me. So I you know, thought that was definitely the career to go to. I thought about looking into planetary sciences and, and fun things like that, but decided that there is no career for that. So started looking into mineral exploration, noticed that there was a big calling for it, huge career. Funny enough, my dad was a uranium miner in Elliott Lake, Ontario, which is where I grew up. Uh, but I just never realized that you know, geology applied to mining. I didn't know what geology was back then in high school days. So I uh, got out to start my career in 2006, working in northern Saskatchewan, which is where I currently live in the and working in the Athabasca Basin area of northern Saskatchewan. That's uh, it's home to the highest grade uranium deposits in the world. You know, so I've, I've seen 80% uranium and drill core on a couple projects and it's fantastic stuff. I, I challenge a lot of people to find such commodity or such high grade commodities like that elsewhere, uh, whether it's high grade copper or zinc, you know, you name it. Yeah. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, and that absolutely that, is. Yeah, yeah. That basin is very famous also for the uh, oil sands. Uh, not the Athabasca Basin. No, it's a uh, different basin, uh, okay. both south and west of west of Athabasca. The Athabasca is about 1.7 billion years old, so it's okay. extremely old, ancient. Uh, and the, yeah, the oil sands are much younger than that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously, obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I I bounced around from a couple companies uh, throughout my career, learning uh, along the way. I've been fortunate enough. So I guess when I started my career. I worked with Denison Mines and working with their experienced people. Um, they, they, I was part of the group that defined the targets that became the Phoenix and Griffin uranium deposits. So very fortunate enough to have that experience very early on, early on in my career, even though I was not associated with the discoveries. I was with the group and I played a big part in relogging drill core and just helping 
helping uh, define the or focus the group on to the to the Griffin deposit. So I uh, learned a lot through that. I uh, went to a couple other companies, eventually landed up at Hathor Exploration, where they had a deposit already uh, under their belt. And I put together a geological model that suggested uh, things were running differently than the way we were drilling. And as soon as we started drilling along that trend, uh, we discovered two more deposits. Uh, still bounced around, you know, did my stint at a big company like Rio Tinto. That's definitely not me. Uh, yeah. Worked on Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've uh, went to NextGen Energy. If a lot of uh, lot of investors may know that company's name, they've got one of the best uranium deposits in the world right now. And so my colleagues and I discovered that back in 2014. So between between Hathor, NextGen, Denison, you know, direct and indirect discovery, I'd like to say is about 550 million pounds. So I like to say that I have learned a lot throughout my career and I've applied what I've learned and it has been successful. There are a number of other projects that I've worked on where I've discovered sub-economic basement hosted uranium mineralization, but mm. it's still the thesis still holds. And yeah. that's the beauty of it all. I, I really do feel like I, I know what I'm doing out there. And, and you know, with the company that I'm currently running right now, uh, Baseload Energy, that's I, I believe that we've got the right projects, we've got the right personnel, and we've got the right go-getter attitude to make a discovery and just strike it rich for our investors. Yeah, that's that's terrific. And I'm how's the how is the market for uranium right now? There's there's, there's not a lot of new uh, nuclear reactors coming online, but you must have a fairly steady um, customer base. That's an interesting question. That's a, mm. definitely a great question, Brian, especially for your listeners who aren't familiar with uranium. Yeah. Back in two, between 2005, 2007, uranium, the spot price, which is uh, basically a, a equitable to the, to the long-term contract price, it took off. It went from 10 bucks a pound up to 140 bucks a pound uh, within three years. And it was literally a exponential curve. It just, it shot up like a rocket. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of investors and a lot of companies. Some companies went from pennies to, to tens of dollars. Investors made uh, millions to hundreds of millions of dollars. It was a great time for everybody. Fortunately, things never, you know, never last like that. But the key takeaway from that, from that era was that there were mines going on. There were uranium mines operating in Canada, in the States, in Australia, Kazakhstan, Africa, you know, all over the world. There were tons of uranium operations on the go. Fast forward to today, it's it, we're seeing the same situation. We're seeing that the demand is actually the demand is higher than it was 15 years ago. There are still more builds coming online. Most of that is being driven by China. It's being driven by India. Uh, even Europe has brought on a few more. But of course, you know you got Germany who are taking some off. So there there is a big build out in developing countries. And the demand is higher now than it was 15, 20 years ago. However, the big thing that the key takeaway is that supply isn't there. There's basically no supply. Who's operating today? There's one mine in Canada that's operating. There's a few ISL operations in, in situ leach ISL uh, that are operating in the States. I don't think there's anything really happening in, in Australia except for Olympic Dam. Kazakhstan's curtail their production. Africa's not operating. You've got some of the, you know, some large producers that have been around for over 
20 years, uh, the Ranger Mine, Arlet in uh, in Niger, uh, a lot of these, even, even MacArthur River, Eagle Point here in the Athabasca Basin area, they're all offline and there's no timeline for those to come back. So we're looking at a perfect storm where demand is increasing, but there's no supply. So right now, the, yeah, yeah. yeah the, right now the price of uranium, the spot price of uranium is about $30 a pound. And that's, uh, that's basically the price where it was in 2005 before it really, like that, these were the initial times or the initial prices when, when uranium just took off. So things are looking like uranium will, will definitely skyrocket again. This is a great time for investors to really get in. Nobody's missed the boat. You know, the, the tides are still low. So when, when the price does pick up again and long-term contracts, and we see these long-term contracts start being signed by the, by the big guys, like your, your Cap, Kazakhstan's, uh, Cameco, Orano, they start getting these long-term contracts signaling that yes, uranium is back in favor and, and utilities need the supply, then the tide will rise and all developers, all exploration companies will rise with the tide. Yeah, really good point. And uh, uranium, I think is one of the, things that is an emotional thing for people because of, of uh, incidents like Fukushima. Um, the, the mining industry itself obviously is not um, is, is uh, you know fully capable of giving ourselves a black eye once in a while and sometimes just uh, devastating catastrophic things like Brumadino or Samarco. Um, but yeah, for, for whatever reason, things like Fukushima seem or tend to cause emotions to rise. And just prior to that, I think nuclear energy was the, the next big thing with lots of promise. And hopefully we can get back to that because I think it really is one of the sources of green energy, even if that sounds like a contradiction of terms. So in, in your view, how does nuclear power fit with the green energy model or, or notion or, or um, whatever term you'd like to put on that? I'm a nuclear bull full on. That's one of the reasons why I focused on uranium exploration, didn't bother going into any of any other type of uranium exploration, because I love the idea of the world having power. And I did my research back in, in university. So we're talking 2006, uh, even back then, it, from what I had found, and it's still the same today, it is officially still the safest and cleanest form of baseload energy. Uh, hydropower, yes, hydropower is uh, cleaner. But again, you look at hydropower and you're, I remember, I remember 15, 20 years ago, people were always getting in big stinks about putting in dams for hydropower. Oh, it's yeah. going to flood all the backwaters. There's no winning solution out there. There's always going to be some negative backdraft. Yeah, uranium has its, uh, has a really bad stigma with people. Chernobyl was terrible. Chernobyl was absolutely disastrous. Uh, Fukushima, to touch base on Fukushima, I've come across some interesting facts. So the, the, the plant, the Fukushima plant was developed on, uh, well, on, on the Japanese island right by the shoreline. And it was developed before plate tectonics was ever established as a geological concept. Now, so they knew that they had tsunamis, but they didn't know what caused them. 
if you would have put that plant or decided to put that plant in, you know, in production nowadays, I don't think it would ever go ahead because we know what would happen. We know that we know what causes tsunamis. We can kind of get a periodicity of them. So uh, just the learning curve back then compared to now would, would have changed things. I also want to point out, like if it was a nuclear plant, let's say it was a, an oil and gas plant, how disastrous would that have been? You know, nothing really happened with the Fukushima plant itself. A lot of it was contained. There was no massive blowout. You know, there was no huge explosion. Um, it was, you know, yes, it was a terrible disaster. People had to get evacuated. They are now coming back to to live there. There's, you know, there's no long-lasting effects within the, you know, within the community itself. It's, it keeps, it keeps supporting the idea that nuclear is. A, a safe and reliable energy source. It just, it depends on where you put it. And when I was in Chile back in 2005, we saw a, we saw a new hospital that was just built and it was built on a slope that already showed signs of slope failure beneath it. So it's, it's, you know, is it the hospital's fault? No, it's not the hospital's fault. It's the people who decide where to put these things. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. There's a lot of things that, that people like to blame for, you know, blame on nuclear energy and just say it's completely unsafe. But the statistics really do show that it is the safest form of baseload energy. Even even with the advent of solar power and wind power, you know, I love the idea of renewables. I think they're fantastic. They're not baseload energy. They've already they've already got a worse safety record than nuclear energy. Mm. So I just yeah. yeah, I just I don't know, you know, I, I I do realize that people are very steadfast in their opinions and obviously everyone's entitled to their opinions and my one of my jobs is trying to educate people and you know kind of convey that nuclear energy is not really the big demon that we should be afraid of if it's if it's located in a stable area with you know very limited or potentially no natural uh, natural disaster impacts great even look at the design of small modular reactors nowadays uh, the concept behind those is a lot of those would be underground. You know, you're not going to have any impacts from from any natural causes except for maybe earthquakes. But if you're not on a if you're not in an active tectonic plate, earthquakes shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a great uh, uh, way to think about it. And and I know that there's hundreds and hundreds of nuclear power plants around the world. And you almost never ever hear about anything going wrong. So, I, your your uh, statistics about the safest safest form of of uh, baseline energy really does hold a lot of merit. What? Um, uh, where are they building the nuclear power plants these days? Where is the growth in that? Growth is definitely in China, India, uh, some in the in the uh, uh, Middle East. Uh, some are being have currently been just built and come online in Europe, and then also Africa seems to be kind of heading that way as well. Uh, the American North American side of things has kind of turned the opposite way, and I guess Europe's kind of on par. Uh, that there where germany is taking a lot of their nuclear reactors offline there are still planned reactors to go online in other neighboring countries or even in, in scandinavia 
So for the vast majority, though, it is China really leading this push, and I completely understand why. I was there a few years ago for the first time. You know, I've seen pictures, I've heard the stories about the smog, about the air pollution, and witnessing it firsthand, I was you know, I was disgusted, and I you know I feel wholeheartedly for for the people that they deserve they deserve clean clean air they deserve clean energy to get that clean air and i really am hoping that nuclear energy will be the at the forefront for their you know for their health and future yeah i agree with you and i was in china about a year and a half ago and between the time you were there and i was there there was a lot of changes that went on they they took a lot a lot of the coal-fired power plants and either took them offline or moved them away from um, cities and so when I was there the air was really pretty clean I know they still have bad air days very bad air days but certainly nuclear energy would be a, a solution for them and I know that our um, waste management skills and practices have come a long way in the past few decades and I think there's more work to be done there but you know that's always the dilemma what do you do with the uh spent fuel once it's once it's uh no longer re required you stick it in the ground in safety containers that are not permeable to to water or oxidation you stick it below the water table where it can't oxidize or rust and they should be safe there in all in all theory from my understanding of it, it's, it's actually pretty simplistic to deal with, but it's it's that fear that people, again, are, are are dealing with. You know, you have to make it as super safe as possible. You have to make it so that people can't get access to it. There are a lot of factors that, that go into play, but it's, yeah, just disposing of the waste it has been one of the biggest issues that nuclear energy has faced for the longest times, but you also have to consider that the amount of waste that is produced from nuclear energy is very minimal. We're talking, we're talking the smallest scale of, of, uh, of fuel out there. There's probably more solar panels that are ending up in dumps that have toxic selenium in them, and nobody's crying about that. <laughs> you've got you've got wind yeah. turbine blades that are already deficient after 10 years use less than that you know and they're just they're they're not being recycled so there's a lot of waste generated from all energy sources yeah people people like to really grasp on the whole nuclear effect and and go with that from what i you know my understanding of nuclear energy or just radiation in itself is that a lot of the radiation that is coming off of, of uranium, it's a lot of it's alpha particles. And alpha particles can be stopped by your skin. So that's, you know, that, that shows how much energy or potential uh, that really exists in radiation. Yeah, it's the, the betas and the gamma radiation that is definitely the, the most harmful to human health. But they don't, they still don't travel that far. Lead, uh, any lead shieldings or conium clad lead shielding uh, protects a lot of, uh, of the radiation. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think we were way overcomplicating the the uh, waste storage um, a few decades ago when we had the Yucca Mountain down here in the states and the the whip site. There was a lot of that going on, and then somebody said, "Why don't we just bury them in very smart devices in the Utah desert?" And and it's like, well, yeah, that just simplified everything, you know get some lead involved, some concrete involved, and 
and you know it's it's not as complicated as the world was thinking a few decades ago yeah there are some reactors that even use nuclear waste and they get you know you get the most bang for your buck out of it uh, basically recycling spent spent nuclear fuel and just continuing it's like there's still radiation on it and they can they can still produce energy from nuclear waste so that's that's another avenue that more as more reactors could start looking at as well and, and taking that i've also seen other concepts where people have developed these small scale casks and you just you basically put them into the ground very deep uh, kilometers at depth with uh, just using standard drill technology oh interesting yeah yeah interesting i i, I know there's uh an aversion maybe to putting them below the water table and that was the reason for specifically yucca mountain and i th i think the whip site in new mexico too which is a big coal uh, sorry salt deposit um but yeah there's there's a lot of clever ways you can sequester that so that it doesn't ever uh negatively affect the planet well the oxidation is what you want to avoid so burying it beneath the oxidation oxidation oh. table is definitely what you want because uranium oxidizes in a oxidized environment if it's in a non-oxidized environment it won't react like it, it'll still have radiation but it, the uranium itself will not dissolve in those fluids and it will not permeate within the water table oh interesting i'd, I'd not, not known that before that's a good piece of information so james what uh what do you what do you think the world needs to do maybe this is too big of a question for today but what do you think the world needs to do to be able to embrace uh uranium as a source of green energy yeah that's a good question i i think the world should just go ahead and and embrace it but again we've got people's fears and it's not just you know it's not just average joe who's who's got fears behind it but it's uh people in in political situations uh governments they've all got their reservations about it but i do think to meet these to meet these co2 emission targets that we're trying to get i don't think we can do it without nuclear so i think that uh, there's two paths forwards you say no to nuclear and let's see where the world gets in the next 10 years but you can also say, and on the other side, you say yes to nuclear. And again, let's see where the world gets in the next ten years. No, I, I don't want to. I don't want to live in a world that is completely reliant on renewable energy. I'd like to turn my lights on when when I want to. I don't want to sit there and be like, oh, okay, it's windy enough. I can turn my lights on. Today. <laughs> no, I want to yeah. make sure that baseload energy is there. Yeah. The, yeah, the mine side of it all, these these mines are the small, especially in Athabasca, where, where we're operating, the highest grade uranium in the world. That The mines there are tiny. They have such small footprints because mm. you can extract such high quantities of uranium in such a low volume of rock. Whereas you compare that to coal or anything like that, even natural gas, even even all of the elements that are required for solar panels, for uh, yeah. for wind turbines, you're not going to find them in the quantities that you're finding uranium. So there's, uh, I, I think more education should be done. I do see governments doing that. I, I read polls from, from different nations and they're saying that within the last uh, two to five years, there have been these sentimental changes amongst the population that are now embracing nuclear energy far more so i think the whole idea of of just getting the 
the CO2, everyone's CO2 emission goals out there. I think that has been a big step that people have finally realized like, oh, geez, we're in a really bad situation here and things can get pretty dire for, for humanity as, as a whole. What are we going to do to fix that? And yeah, they've looked at they've looked at renewables. What they you now they say the same thing that I've just said. You you need the sun, you need the wind. If it's not there, you're not generating electricity. No matter how many batteries you have in place, if there's no sun, there's no wind. You're not generating power to store. So what's the alternative? It's nuclear energy, and I do believe that people are finally seeing that. Now it's just it's just a couple more hurdles to get over. I, for example, the the whole safety aspect of it. Um, and the spent fuels. The, the one downside to nuclear energy, which I hope being small modular reactors will alleviate, is just it's the time to build these reactors. These are not something that can be turnkey oh, within yeah. six months to 12 yeah. months. Yeah. That's That's gotta be nuclear energy's one of the biggest downfalls. So if we really wanna meet a lot of these goals, we have to implement now. Not, not wait five years, not wait 10 years, because it'll be too late by then. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And if you stop to consider how long it's been since Fukushima, um, you, you know, a lot of years have passed and a lot of the reactors that have been taken offline were scheduled to be taken offline. It wasn't, they, they weren't all taken offline because of public outcry or fears. They, they were scheduled to be taken off. And I understand that Fukushima was, was scheduled to be taken off um, before it before it uh, caused the disaster, or um, so yeah, I, I think you're right that there there's a lot of public misperception about the safety or, or lack thereof, and it, it really does have a pretty decent uh, track record of of good safety excellent safety yeah chernobyl yeah. was a flawed design without chernobyl in the in the data yeah there's no there's no question and it should be no question in anybody's minds that nuclear is by far the safest form of of nuclear energy thankfully yeah. enough the chernobyl design is no longer used uh yeah good good and uh, we do learn a lot about uh engineering just through failures i'm reading a book right now about the history of bridges and how many bridges collapsed through the past couple hundred years and how how that science is, has come a long way and people don't generally fear driving over a bridge or going on a train over a bridge anymore because the engineering has come so far and i think probably nuclear is is at least as safe as going over a bridge. I'd say it's even safer. Yeah. <laughs> you, know. you don't have to worry about the other people on the other side or the people behind you or beside you. <laughs> yeah. James, this has been a really good conversation. Is there anything else that you wanted to add in here? I think we've covered a lot. Uh, just, yeah. I guess, more specifically about baseload energy, where a new company, where a new uranium exploration company formed in June of last year, we listed at 10 cents by December. So within seven months, we had hit uh, $1.20. Excellent, excellent returns within within a year of 
of listing publicly and we just we've got the right team behind us we've got the right uh, technical group we've got the right administrative group uh, we've got the right projects we've got the know-how we know what we're doing and we're hoping to really make make a success very quickly for our investors myself i've been with companies that have literally generated billions of dollars for in investor returns and i'm hoping to repeat such success uh, in, the, in this company with baseload energy, the reason one of the reasons why we did go from ten cents to about twenty was because there are a lot of uh, retail and instant, institutional investors who know my career and who have followed me, and they're they're banking on me to make these successes again. Our exploration model is vastly different from a lot of our peers in that we're looking for uh, open pit style of deposits that are high grade deposits that are close to surface something that could go from discovery into production within a six to ten year time frame which would meet you know meet the current and meet the current uranium cycle uh, we don't we obviously don't want to miss any windows that that are available for us so that's you know if if investors are looking to get into the uranium play you know, Obviously, the, the producers are always the best guys to go into, but if you're looking for high risk, high, high potential reward, and you look for the explorers. And amongst the explorers, I obviously have to recommend Baseload Energy because I think we're doing things unique. I think we're different. And I think we've got everything together to, to make that happen. Yeah, that, that sounds good to me too. And uh, James, any uh, key takeaways or pearls of wisdom you want to leave us with today? go with two pearls of wisdom well okay. one's not even a pearl of wisdom and it's just kind of my my whole belief is that we need nuclear energy in my in my humblest opinion there's no doubt about it we need nuclear energy not just to meet the you know the global co2 demands and 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 uh what uh, what the governments are calling for um but we just we need it to make our lives better it's just it's a it's a power source that is you know superior to a lot of other sources it's clean yeah. it's safe it's baseload power it's the most efficient baseload power it's the most efficient energy source out there i guess the other you know, another one that i like to always just you know, talk about or or mention is uh to be the king you have to beat the king that's kind of a mantra that has yeah. led my career down the road if i want to be the best of the best then i got to beat the best of the best i'm yeah. not going to sit around on my duff and do nothing i'm going to try and i'm going to push hard to really do that motivated yeah good point very good point and james with that thought i i think i will let you go because i know you're a busy guy and i don't want to take up uh, any more of your day but uh thanks for coming on with us today one of the reasons that i have this podcast is to make myself a little bit smarter and you've helped uh in that regard today so i thank you for that Oh, anytime, Brian. Anytime. If you ever want to reach out or if your listeners ever want to reach out, I can be reached uh, via, via email. So that's J Sykes, J-S-Y-K-E-S at Uranium Geologist. That's singular, singular, not plural, dot com. And you can also contact Baseload Energy, info at baseloadenergy.com. And we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Oh, sorry, not Facebook. <laughs> we're on Twitter and we're on LinkedIn. So we okay. can we can be reached there but yeah you know anytime if you ever want to follow up with some more questions for nuclear energy uranium exploration uh, by all means i would be happy to answer your question or anybody else's questions sounds great i appreciate that and uh, with that i will let you go and wish you the best and hope to catch up with you sometime again soon awesome thank you very much brian take care you too
Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.